Matt Schaff and Jared Smola of DraftSharks.com here to preview week 11 of fantasy football season. We've got some key injury returns to sort through today, some significant workload shifts from week 10 to assess, plenty of backfields to break down. But we're going to start, Jared, with an important new injury, and that is Deshaun Watson suffering a fracture in his throwing shoulder in last week's win over the Ravens. He's headed for surgery. He's done for the year, expected to be ready ahead of next season. So no long-term adjustment on Watson. The biggest impact, of course, on this year's Browns. And it seems like inevitably bad news for Browns pass catchers. Like Deshaun Watson hasn't been very good this year but he's been better than what's likely coming in behind him now, right? Yeah, the Browns are going to go to their rookie Dorian Thompson Robinson here, which I, I think makes sense. I mean, we'll see if they stick with him. But P.J. Walker, we kind of know what he is. He's never been a good NFL quarterback. DTR was bad in his one start this season. That came against the Ravens, who are you know a top three defense in the NFL, maybe the, the best defense in the NFL. It also came on a week where Deshaun Watson was a game-time decision. DTR wasn't even, like, sure he was going to start that game until 90 minutes before kickoff. So it was, it was a really tough spot. Now, I'm, I'm not saying I expect him to be good the rest of the way. I think he could be better than what he showed in that game against the Ravens. I do think we're also, we'll also probably see the Browns scheme up some more runs for DTR. Cause he, he can do that. He only had one design carry in that week four game against Baltimore, but again, they didn't really know he was going to be the guy until, until inactives were announced. So I, I think we'll probably see some more design runs for DTR, which honestly is not good because you're, you're still not going to want to be starting Thompson Robinson outside of super flex two quarterback leagues. And you know, any of those design runs are just taking away opportunities for these other Browns guys that we might still want to be starting. Yeah. And I think the biggest negative impact is probably on Amari Cooper. I mean, First of all, the quarterback, I think the decision to go back to the rookie says they've seen something from him that says they think he at least can do better than last time. I mean, as bad as he was previously is why they went to P.J. Walker. The switchback says he's developed some. We know P.J. Walker still stinks, so we're going to take a shot on the rookie. I would assume that if he is as bad going forward as he was in that Ravens game, they'll be like, all right, fine. We're going to go to P.J. Walker so that maybe we can back into the playoffs and see what happens. But. Going forward this season, Amari Cooper, it definitely hurts him. He has caught 71.8% of the targets that he's gotten in games where Deshaun Watson was the primary quarterback. That's been 44.4% in games where P.J. Walker was the top quarterback. And in the one DTR game, he had six targets, one catch. I think things will get better than that, but they're definitely going to be worse. There are still going to be plenty of targets going Cooper's way but he's going to catch fewer of them. He's bound to be less efficient on what he does get. I think it's a, a significant downgrade for Cooper. I'm not sure that you can sell him because I would imagine everybody thinks it's a downgrade and nobody's excited about Cooper, but you know, maybe there are opportunities where you can do so. And I wouldn't be afraid to do that. David Njoku has actually been fine with every quarterback this year. He had a fine <laughs> game in that Baltimore game with DTR. He was fine with PJ Walker. He's been fine with Deshaun Watson. So I'm not expecting a big shift for him. I don't know if it's quite a buy low opportunity because I don't think he's going to be big going forward, but I wouldn't panic if he's your top tight end right now. Yeah. I mean, the difference between Cooper and Njoku, Cooper has this massive 15.2 yard average depth of target, and that hasn't changed based on quarterback yet. Cooper actually had a 19 yard average depth of target in Dorian Thompson Robinson's one start. So I mean, those targets are volatile, no matter who's a quarterback. And when they're coming from a bad quarterback, he's going to have a low catch rate. So if you're, if you're a Cooper owner, I would put him on the block and see what kind of offers you get. And I'd sell him for, you know, 
anything of value because he's just not a guy I want to be starting, you know, weekly going forward. He probably will have another game or two where he does come down with one of those deep balls and is solid for you. But he's going to have a lot of games like that first game that DTR started where he just catches, you know, one of six targets and really kills your fantasy team. David Njoku has a three yard average depth of target. Almost all of his stuff has been near the line of scrimmage. They're kind of, you know, banking on his yards after catchability and it's worked for a lot of the season. Now he's actually been pretty good in fantasy. So I think with someone like DTR, you know, is probably going to be trying to throw more of those, you know, high percentage shorter passes. I think, you know, it's definitely not good news for Njoku, but I think he can survive as a low end tight end one. He is a binky in a pass offense that badly needs a binky so David Njoku should be okay and if you're like well, what about Elijah Moore stop it I mean, Elijah Moore hasn't helped us with any quarterback this year you can drop him I don't care there's I'm not at all interested in Elijah Moore the rest of the season the backfield I think we probably get a bit more of a rush lean overall for this Cleveland offense with the rookie quarterback in there we also yeah. might get less running back receiving we probably get an overall offensive downgrade so I think overall it's probably a wash in impact with a slight downgrade because you know we can't expect the Browns to score or move the ball as efficiently with a day three rookie quarterback as with the guy that they guaranteed 250 yeah. million dollars yeah that's how I have it a, a slight net negative for Jerome Ford the Browns had already been a run leaning offense even with Watson under center I do think they lean more towards the run but you know there's only so far they can go you know they do still have this awesome defense so even you know with a bad quarterback they they can stay in games and lean on the run um Jerome Ford has you know there was the one week he was limited coming off the ankle injury, but the last two weeks he's played 64% of the Browns offensive snaps in both of those games. He has 37 carries and eight targets over those two games to 28 carries and one target for Kareem Hunt. So Jerome Ford kind of you know has reemerged as the clear leader here. He did also get six targets in that one DTR start, a 17% target share. I'm kind of with you. I don't know if we can bank on that going forward. We do know that running quarterbacks tend to target their running backs at a lower rate anyways. And I think, you know, DTR can be, you know, a, a um, above average quarterback as far as running and mobility goes. So Ford also gets the fifth easiest remaining running back schedule. So, you know, that's going to help him too. So I, I, I think he can at least be a weekly running back three flex play just based on the volume. He has a good schedule. He has big playability. So he can give you some weeks where he is, you know, better than an RB3. Yeah, I wouldn't panic. I think he's probably around RB 24 through 27 through the rest of the season. And then we'll see what the matchups do. We'll see exactly what the workload looks like. If you follow the free shark bite section on DraftSharks.com, you already got a pretty thorough breakdown of the impact right after this Deshaun Watson news dropped. And then again, after we heard that Dorian Thompson Robinson was going to be the starter instead of PJ Walker, you know, you can find quick hit fantasy news anywhere on the web at this point. If you want immediate breakdowns, though, of the fantasy impact, the other players affected beyond the main guy in the news and really exactly what has changed in our rankings as a result. Got to go to Shark Bites. Check them out. They're free. You can read them whenever you want. And you can read them in the app if that's what you like to do. David Montgomery versus Jameer Gibbs. Jared, we got David Montgomery back. What do we make of that first game of the way that they coexisted against the Chargers last week? Yeah, I mean, it was a major shift in the Lions' backfield coming out of the bye week in Montgomery's first game back um, You know, after Jameer Gibbs had a couple of really strong performances. You basically had Gibbs and Montgomery just rotating series with the exception of you know Gibbs subbing in for Montgomery in most of the obvious passing situations, uh, Gibbs had a 63% route rate for the game. David Montgomery was at 31%, and Gibbs out-targeted Montgomery five to zero. The carries were basically split down the middle: 14 carries for Gibbs, 12 to Montgomery. I think you we can you know kind of 
expect that to continue going forward. The other big change though, is that Gibbs was not subbed out near the goal line. If it was, if it was his drive and they got, you know, inside the 10, inside the five Gibbs stayed in there. Gibbs actually ended up getting five opportunities. I think it was four carries and one target inside the chargers five yard line last week to just two for David Montgomery. Now, again, this is, that's not to say that Gibbs is now the lion's goal line back. It's to say that whoever's in there when they get to the goal line, they're, they're comfortable keeping Jameer Gibbs in there. So to me, this is a problem for David Montgomery, because if he's going to get half of the carries going forward and and the, the lions have averaged 27 running back carries per game this season. So if Montgomery's getting half of those, you know, you're talking 13, 14, somewhere around there carries per game. If he's going to get, you know, that many carries per game and basically nothing in the passing game, David Montgomery has three total targets in four games with a healthy Jameer Gibbs. So you're talking, you know, 13, 14 carries per game with very little action in the passing game. You're, you're really going to need Montgomery to score, to you know, score a touchdown to help you um, in fantasy most weeks. Now, I think he's a really strong bet to score in most games because, this Lions offense is awesome. Schedule is good the rest of the way for the Lions running backs. They have the seventh easiest remaining running back schedule. So I think, you know, that's if you if you read our latest trade target article, we, we went with a hold for Montgomery, you know, not, not a sell because because of that schedule, because of this offense. But I, I am concerned about his weekly consistency if we expect this usage to continue. And I, I do just because Gibbs has been so good lately. And to be fair, I think we're concerned about the weekly consistency of most running backs at this point. So, you oh, know, yeah. it hurts yeah. them versus previous. But I, I agree, we should expect a split going forward. And we kind of expected that that was going to end up being the case heading into this game because Gibbs has looked very good while Montgomery was out. There's no reason to marginalize him just because Montgomery is back. I do also think that we need to see a little bit more before we can fully judge this because there were some specifics from this game that made the carries and playing time come out the way that they did. As you mentioned, they were alternating drives. One of David Montgomery's drives was only his 75-yard touchdown run, so that obviously cuts down on his playing time and his carries right there because the next drive, it was Gibbs's turn. Another Montgomery drive finished with, on consecutive plays, a 33-yard pass to Amon Ross St. Brown, and then a 20-yard touchdown pass to Amon Ross St. Brown. So that's half the field on the final two plays right there. That cuts down playing time and potential opportunities for Montgomery. His last possession was the game ender, which ran into the two-minute drill. And when it got to two minutes, the Lions were at second and 11. So they brought in Gibbs. They threw the ball in three straight plays. They got the first down to ice the game. Montgomery also had two unsuccessful shots from the one yard line in the second quarter. So he was very close to having two touchdowns in this game. Again, he could have had a lot more carries if any one of those drives had gone differently. So I think we're looking at a split. I think it's worse for Montgomery than it was before he was injured, but he's also in one of the very best offenses in the league to have a split like this. I think there will be plenty of scoring chances for him and their schedule the rest of the way. I think they're probably going to be favored in every single game except for week 17 at Dallas if we're looking at the fantasy schedule. So I think he's going to be as good a bet for a touchdown as pretty much any other running back in the league going forward. You know, I would say don't expect as much as he was getting before the injury for Montgomery, but you should still have a guy who's fine for your fantasy team going forward. I think Montgomery's basically going to be in the role that Jamal Williams was in for much of last season, you know, when DeAndre Swift was healthy. Um, and of course, you know, Jamal Williams was an awesome fantasy asset because he scored 8 billion touchdowns last season. You know, maybe maybe Montgomery does, you know, still score 8 touchdowns the rest of the season. It's definitely possible. That's why he's a hold for me. I think he's still going to be, you know, a nice RB2 a lot of weeks. Just the, the floor is lower because... 
I don't think he's going to rack up a ton of yards again because he's splitting carries and because he's not going to do much in the in the passing game. Yeah, I think we've got a better Jamal Williams now and a better DeAndre Swift. I think that's what Detroit was hoping to do with both of these imports yep. in the offseason. Yep. Speaking of imports, Atlanta's biggest import was Bijan Robinson in the offseason. Jared, we've all been waiting for Atlanta to fix. <laughs> sorry if that's toxic, to fix Bijan Robinson's usage. Did we finally get exactly what we've been waiting for? I mean, yeah, we did. We did for one week, right? Season high 22 carries for Bijan Robinson last week, 75% snap rate, 54% of the Falcons total carries. Those were both top three marks for him on the season. Now the, the question is, is this going to continue, right? It's not the first time we saw that type of usage for Robinson in weeks three and four. He saw similar usage, 81 and 76% of the snaps in those games. He was at 50% of the rush attempts in week three, 64% in week four. But then we got five straight games with him failing to reach 50% of the Falcons carry. So I'm not ready to call this a trend and that Robinson's going to remain in this role. Now, if he does, he's a top five running back the rest of the way. So, you know, that's the upside, but I honestly think it's more likely that this is just a one game blip and that, you know, Arthur Smith goes back to, you know, I don't know, making a game plan dependent game script dependent where, you know, some weeks we're going to kind of be frustrated by Bijan's usage. So, you know, to me, he's a hold for me. I wouldn't go out and, you know, buy him assuming that he's going to get that workload the rest of the way. But, you know, he, he's been a, a fine, like higher end RB2, even with the underwhelming usage. So I think, you know, that's kind of the floor at this point. If he does get that workhorse usage going forward, he can definitely be a league winner, really. I think the only way to make sure that you're wrong about this is to be sure in one yeah. direction or the other, because none of us knows. I mean, Bijan Robinson should be getting more touches on a regular basis. Drake London should be getting more targets on a regular basis. Kyle Pitts should be getting more targets on a regular basis. Not all of these things are going to happen. We'll see exactly what does happen going forward. If you've got Bijan Robinson, I think you'd be happy with that one. And you hope that he can be more valuable for you the rest of the way than he has been to this point. I wouldn't sell him off of this usage. I don't think it's a sell high, but I also would not consider him untouchable on a redraft roster. If somebody makes an offer to me that indicates they're sure that Bijan Robinson turned the corner and he's going to be a workhorse going forward, I'm certainly okay with selling in that kind of case. So just make sure that you're not too sure in any direction on Bijan's usage. Yeah, well, I would sell Bijan Robinson for Jonathan Taylor if you could get that trade, who's you know, the next guy we're going to talk about here. To me, right now, is the best buy in fantasy football. I think the fact that he wasn't super productive in that game in Germany against the Patriots kind of, it kind of gives you one last chance to buy Jonathan Taylor. He's now on a bye week, which I think, you know, helps that potentially you can pry him away from his owner. But I mean, we've seen JT's usage just really trend up pretty steadily since he debuted this season. And, you know, this, this past week, he really, I mean, Zach, Zach Moss barely played at all. Zach Moss played 16% of the Colts offensive snaps had one carry and zero targets. Jonathan Taylor, 88% of the snaps, 74% of the pass routes. That's an elite, you know, top five mark for a running back. Got 23 carries, got one target. The efficiency has not been good the last two weeks. I am confident that's going to rebound because this Colts running game in general has been good this season. I think John, Jonathan Taylor is a good runner. So if you're getting that type of workload from a super talented player, like I think Jonathan Taylor can be a top five, top three running back, you know, from week 12 on. And I think you could still get him for, you know, maybe more like a low end RB1 price tag in a trade right now. Jared, if you're going to take over the transitions between topics on these shows from me, then I, I'm almost out of purpose. But I agree. Jonathan Taylor is a buy. You can see that 
in two spots on our website right now. You can see it in Jared's week 10 usage takeaways article. You can see it in the trade targets article for all the reasons that Jared just laid out. I mean, everybody loves Jonathan Taylor. We've been waiting for the usage to come back. And I think, as you said, the fact that he got that workhorse usage in that game did not deliver big numbers and is now on a buy kind of gives you the last real buy window in redraft leagues for Jonathan Taylor, maybe even in dynasty. Maybe you take a shot. I think there's yeah. a less of a chance that his dynasty managers are willing to sell, but they're probably not going to be more willing to sell beyond this point. If you want to take a shot and see what happens. Another backfield that got interesting in week 10, maybe interesting and maybe not. Maybe it's overblown. The headline from the Pittsburgh backfield in week 10 is that Jalen Warren was announced as the starter. But Jared, did anything actually change in the way they were deployed? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm such a skeptic. I read that headline and I almost expected to sort of dive into the numbers and just see that nothing changed because, you know, Warren and Nasha Harris had, had nice games last week. But if you do look into the the usage numbers last week, there was at least a, a slight tick up for Jalen Warren. He set a uh, season high with a 52% snap rate. He set a season high with a 42% rush attempt share. Now th those numbers aren't way above what he had been seeing. The The snap rate was, you know, a season high by only like a few percentage points. He, he'd been close to a 42% rush share in a few games. It's a significant bump up. And of course, Warren continued last week to, to you know, play more passing down snaps than, than Najee Harris. So if he's going to get, you know, something close to half the carries and then continue to, you know, dominate the passing game usage, you know, Warren kind of already has been a, a more productive fantasy player than Najee Harris in full PPR leagues. I think that's going to continue. The other note here, just on the Steelers' backfield, this running game's been really good lately. Najee Harris and Jalen Warren have combined for seven top 24 PPR weeks over the last four weeks. Najee Harris has finished top 24 in all four of the last four games. Jalen Warren's been top 24 in three of the last four. Um, you know, Pittsburgh's leaning run. I think the offensive line has been better. Their, their rookie, Broderick Jones, has gotten in there and been really good, especially in the running game. So I think there's fantasy value to be had here. And I think and, you know, Warren is, is the better fantasy bet going forward if we expect this usage to continue. And Green Bay was a favorable matchup for running back scoring last week, but the three games before that were not. So they've been leaning run in matchups that didn't necessarily dictate that. They do have a tough one at Cleveland this week. I wouldn't expect big numbers from either of those guys. But beyond that, pretty nice finish to the schedule at Cincinnati, then home for Arizona, New England, at Indy, home for Cincinnati, at Seattle. Several highly positive running back scoring matchups in that mix. I think it's certainly possible that Jalen Warren and Najee Harris help you down the stretch. I'm more interested in Warren because of the receiving stuff, but Pittsburgh has reason to keep both guys plenty involved. Tony Pollard has stayed involved, but again, not involved in the scoring in week 10. And the headline from this game is for Tony Pollard, at least he let you down again in as good a spot as possible for a running back. The Cowboys scored seven offensive touchdowns against the Giants. Three of those came on the ground. None of those came from Tony Pollard, who has still not scored a touchdown now since week one. Tony Pollard's an unequivocal bust versus his draft position, Jared, but I think you have to go deeper than Tony Pollard let us down again. He sucks versus my second round draft pick to actually... Yeah 
you know, get any takeaways from this game. So what do you got? Yeah, I mean, there are obviously real problems here. I mean, the, the efficiency has been bad all season and you really can't expect that to improve at this point. Even the volume has been, it's been like fine. Like, you know, we'll, we'll take it. It's fantasy starter level volume. But, you know, since there was a couple games early in the year where they, they really, you know, gave Pollard 20, 30 total opportunities. Over the last six games, Pollard has topped 17 opportunities. That's carries plus targets just once, just one of his last six games. So he's kind of back to that, you know, 15, 16, 17, you know, kind of touch territory, which again is fine. It's the lack of touchdowns that I still expect to rebound. I mean, it's, it's really crazy how I, I'm going to call it mostly unlucky Pollard has been. You can pin the blame on him to some extent. You know, if you're, if you're not making guys miss and you're not breaking tackles, like, you know, it's, it's you're not going to score as many touchdowns, but just the, the level to which he has not scored touchdowns on these opportunities. Pollard is one of eight players in the NFL with nine plus carries inside the five yard line this season. Howard has two total touchdowns. The other seven of those eight guys all have at least four touchdowns. Those other seven guys have averaged 7.4 touchdowns. So, you know, there's a lot of ways to look at it. Pollard is just vastly underachieving the amount of touchdowns he, he, you know, should have been expected to score based on based on his usage at this point. Tony Pollard appears in our week 11 trade targets article, but there was some staff debate on exactly which section he belongs in. If you can buy Tony Pollard on the very cheap, I'm totally fine with that. He's, he's probably not going to end this season with just the two touchdowns that he scored in week one. So there should be some regression on that front. Now, where I push back is I think if you look at it from the math side, you're like, he's he's about to explode for touchdowns just because that's how variance works. You don't get that many opportunities and just never score again. But if you look into his opportunities, Dallas is leaning away from giving them to him. He had 15 carries inside the 10-yard line over the first three games this year, and that's what got us all like, oh, it's coming. He's just unlucky. Since then, he has six total carries in that range for an offense that has gotten much better than it was earlier in the season. Three of those six in the past six games came Sunday against the Giants. So he was definitely unlucky there. He had three chances from the four yard line and closer. He gained yardage on all three of those and yet did not get into the end zone with any of them. That's bad luck. I don't think that Dallas is going to keep giving him three chances from in there the rest of the season, though, I think we're much more likely to see a lot more games like the five in between where he had one or zero. Dallas is throwing the ball. Dallas is going to other guys. Maybe we'll see if Rico Dowdle gets more. I'm not reading anything into his performance against the Giants because a lot of his stuff came in the second half, including the one touchdown that he did score from the one yard line. But overall, the usage you mentioned, the goal line usage for Tony Pollard says that Dallas realizes it hasn't been working and they've made adjustments. So I think there's some regression coming. I think he's going to score again at some point, even if I'm not willing to bet money on any individual week, Tony Pollard scoring a touchdown at this point. I mean, good chance it happens against Carolina if it's going to happen this week. Overall, though, I don't think we're looking at a guy that's going to be a difference maker down the stretch. A little bit better than he's been for the past six weeks, but I don't think he's winning you a championship. Yeah, you talked about Pollard's goal line chances dwindling and again just his volume in general dwindling and that's because the reason the Cowboys offense has been so good post five because because they've shifted from a run leading offense to a super pass heavy offense for you know each of their last three games now and you know that's obviously been much more effective than the running game has been all year so I will say I think that this week's spot for Pollard is really just as good as last week's 
was and in some ways better because Carolina's pass defense is actually respectable. You know, they're 16th in pass defense DVOA. They're 31st in run defense DVOA. Whereas last week, the Giants defense is not really respectable against either thing. And the Cowboys were just able to throw all over them. So yeah, I think you're sticking with Pollard in season long leagues. I think if he does again this week, you know, I don't even know who they play next week. We could, you know, start to maybe talk about him as a guy you consider benching if you have other strong options. But I think at least for this week in this matchup, you should stick with Pollard. Yeah, I think you go ahead and start him and don't be the person who just sells him for scraps at this point. Yeah, if, if you get a good offer, fine. I have no problem with moving Pollard. Maybe there is yep. somebody else in your league that's hard up this week and wants to capitalize on that Carolina matchup. I'm fine with selling Pollard for a good return, but don't be the one that sells him for like a wide receiver three and then kicks yourself on Monday. Now, Rico Dowdle, I mentioned, scored the touchdown, got the carries last week. It was a blowout victory. That was obviously a big contributor. If you want to pick him up, fine. I think he's like a, not even quite a Ty Chandler pickup from last week level of pickup. I don't expect that we'll get useful fantasy weeks from Rico Dowdle going forward with a healthy Tony Pollard, but he's the number two. Maybe he works in a little bit more and he's ultimately a handcuff. So I think he's okay to add. Yeah. Awesome handcuff. And yeah, I mean, if he's going to get, you know, six, seven, eight touches per game, he's someone you can use in an emergency. I, I was actually deciding, we didn't get to talk about Michael Carter on a Tuesday show because that whole move happened after the show. But um, yeah, I, I think to me, Michael Carter versus Rico Dottle was kind of a, a tough call on waiver wires last night. Um, I mean, Dottle's obviously in the, in the much better offense, but I mean, Carter is, you know, one James Conner injury away from being the lead back in what I think is going to be a pretty decent Cardinals offense the rest of the way. Um, so I think Dowdle and Carter um, sh- should both be rostered in, you know, fantasy leagues of 12 plus teams at this point. Yeah, I think neither guy is likely to help you unless the starter goes down. So it's kind of the same level. Like it just depends on which starter actually gets hurt. I mentioned Ty Chandler. He's next up on our list. And Jared, he was a pickup last week because Cam Akers went down and Ty Chandler was the next guy up. And then Alexander Madison got out of the way, sustained a concussion. So he's almost definitely out for this week. So the question I think with Ty Chandler is how high do we put him among the starter ranks for week 11. Yeah, I mean, we, we have him, what, RB22, RB23, somewhere in there. So, like, he's de- he's definitely not a must-start, but he's definitely someone who I think a lot of teams, he's going to be, you know, your RB2, RB3 flex-type play this week. Um, and to me, it's the matchup, mostly, and the fact that I, I do feel pretty confident he's going to get most of the work. And the reason I feel confident he's going to get most of the work is that we talked about on Tuesday's waiver Wire show, that Chandler was mixing in alongside Madison even before Madison left that game with a concussion. So it wasn't like the Vikings, you know, just kind of were forced to go to Chandler last week after Madison exited with his concussion. That has me feeling pretty confident that you're going to get, you know, 15 or so touches out of Chandler on, on Sunday night. And I think that he belongs in that area right around the bottom of RB2 territories, RB24 in our PPR rankings right now. I think he's a Chuba Hubbard level play, a Devin Singletary level play. And I would consider Ty Chandler not quite at the level of Devin Singletary or Deontay Foreman when they have been pressed into duty for their backfields, just because we've seen successful stretches of both NFL play and fantasy production from Devin Singletary and from Deontay Foreman. We haven't seen more than last week's game from Ty Chandler. So maybe there is a breakout type of game in there, but also maybe there is just a guy who gets 12 carries in this game and three targets for an offense that just leans on the passing game instead of going to Ty Chandler a lot. So I think we're in the same range. If I'm deciding between Ty Chandler and Jerome Ford, I'm going to go ahead and play Jerome Ford because we've seen more from him this week. 
I think I could go either way on Ty Chandler versus either of the Steelers backs, especially because of their tough matchup against Cleveland. And then Ty Chandler against Gus Edwards. Like I understand playing Ty Chandler over Gus Edwards. I think I'm probably just going to go ahead and play the touchdown upside. And if Gus Edwards doesn't make it into the end zone in the game, I'll take my loss there. That Brown Steelers over under is down to 33 points. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I'm not super excited about anyone there. Again, for, I think Ford's a, Ford's a safer touch touch bet and just, just a better touch bet than Ty Chandler. So that's kind of what's working in his favor. I think Chandler has the better matchup. I'd lean Chandler over Ford and the Steelers strategy just because I think that game's going to be super ugly. You, know, you mentioned Devin Singletary. The reason to me he's a pretty easy start over Chandler if you're making that decision is just that we've seen Singletary dominate snaps and touches the last two weeks. So we can just feel much, much safer about his role than Ty Chandler's and Singletary's matchup is, you know, nearly as good as Chandler's is. Yeah. And that was my point with bringing up Singletary, um, not even to necessarily pit them against each other in lineup decisions this week, but you know, somebody who's suddenly in charge of a backfield. Um, what do you expect him to get? A couple of weeks ago, we got bitten by trusting Devin Singletary a bit too much, but if you went back to him this past week, yeah. it paid off against Cincinnati. So to me, when you're deciding between a couple of guys like that, if there's nothing strongly leaning in favor of the lesser known guy, it's a generally a better idea to go for the guy that we have gotten more trustworthy production from. Yep. Agreed. The Cardinals are looking a lot different now because they got Kyler Murray back last week, not all the way back to pre-injury Kyler Murray, but pretty close. I mean, if he's able to make those spinning, twisting, dashing down the field moves to escape the defense and extend drives, it's pretty close to the Kyler Murray that we remember before the ACL tear. So Jared, what does what he did do and what he did look like mean for Murray and other Cardinals key players in fantasy. Yeah. Murray looked much better than I expected him to. I was, I was really encouraged and excited by how he played. I mean, he, he, he missed some throws. There was a long touchdown to Hollywood Brown. Yeah. Hollywood Brown just can't buy a break this season. You know, it was a you know, 30, 40 yard touchdown. Brown had a few steps on his defender and Kyler just overshot him. Um, you know, there's a few other throws he missed. He finished with a 59% completion rate, but Kyler averaged 7.8 yards per attempt. He had a 10.4 yard average depth of throw, which is a big change from what, you know, he was doing under Cliff Kingsbury, where it was a lot of short stuff. So, you know, the, 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 uh, yeah, the, the completion rate might stay down, but again, if the yards per attempt is up, you know, that's what we care about a lot more. So just super encouraged for Murray himself. And again, you mentioned the running stuff. I mean, six carries 33 yards and a touchdown. There were four designed carries. Two of those came inside the red zone. He was pulled for Clayton tune for a tush push one yard touchdown, which, which sucks. I mean, if Murray's not going to be getting those, you know, which I, you know, I can't blame him. He's a small guy. Um, it might make sense to use tune that, that hurts a little bit, but again, you know, four, four designed carries. We talked about, you know, they were doing that with Josh Dobbs. I think we could get even more than that for Murray going forward. So I think Murray is already, you know, a, fringe quarterback one option i think you know in this week's matchup against houston which is a very exciting game which i didn't didn't expect to be saying two months ago but you know cardinals texans looks like one of the more exciting games of the week definitely shoot out potential there so i think murray is in play if jonathan taylor is the best buy in fantasy marquise brown might be the second best buy in fantasy for me because i i know it was even the target share was underwhelming last week and he finished with just the one catch but again murray missed him for the long touchdown i still think marquise brown is a guy who's gonna you know be around like 25 percent of the targets going forward in an offense that I think is just going to be a lot better with Kyler the rest of the way. So I'm, I'm still excited about Marquise Brown and would still, you know, be trying to buy him this week. I'm sure he's even, you know, cheaper this week than he would have been last week. 
Yeah, if it were possible, I would be willing to place a bet this week that we don't get any more games going forward where Rondale Moore doubles Marquise Brown in targets. Trey McBride looks like somebody that you should just comfortably start the rest of the way. I know we have to wait and see what happens with Zach Ertz once he returns from injury, but I mean, why in the world would you marginalize Trey McBride to get the statue of Zach Ertz back on the field more? I think that we should expect Trey McBride to stay heavily involved. And then Rondale Moore is just kind of a stash level play. I mean, it was encouraging usage in that game. Again, we'll see where it goes going forward. I would bet that the target share comes down from there, but if you have a spot to play with, you can put him on your bench and see what happens. I think he's a a similar kind of stash to Marvin Mims where you don't want to use him yet, but we got something this past week that might point to him being usable at some point later this season. Yeah. And I think Michael Wilson is on the same level as Rondell Moore. I mean, you know, there, I think Wilson's even playing a bit more than Rondell Moore. Now Rondell continues to do most of the short stuff where Wilson has a pretty big average at the target. So they're, they're kind of different profiles, but I think, you know, both guys might be like wide receiver four options going forward. If Kyler Murray continues to play as well as he did in that game last week. And yeah, man, Trey McBride, even like talking longer term dynasty, he, he looks like a hit to me. Um, he is now up to second among tight ends in, yards per route run it's travis kelsey one trey mcbride two george kittle three tj hawkinson four mark andrews five so pretty nice company for trey mcbride there and yeah man i i hope they do not diminish his role at all once once zach earth returns I was annoyed at myself this morning. I was checking my drafters shares and I was annoyed to see about half as much Trey McBride as I have Kyler Murray. I was like, oh, let's see what we've been sitting on here for those Kyler Murray, (laughs) Trey McBride stacks, but a little bit, not enough. Yeah, I'm not saying he was a miss for us. I think we were not as high as we should have been. On him, though, I mean, his his yards per out run last year was horrible, and that sort of had me you know, iffy on him, but, you know, we say all the time, these tight ends take, take a couple of years to get going. So we, we probably should have been a bit, a bit higher yeah. on him as at least like a late round flyer. And even as a straight um, redraft pick though, he hasn't been good this year because you would have had to sit on him for half the season and hope that something happens. And it took a Zachary's injury to put him on the field. So nobody should be kicking themselves for not drafting Trey McBride in a redraft league. Cause he was a bad pick, but he's certainly helping you at this point. And that's the kind of stash that you put on a best ball roster as your third tight end, especially if you took the quarterback that he knew was probably going to be out for about half the season. Finally, streaming defenses for week 12. We like to look ahead in this section. And Jared, we've been looking ahead at this for past week, week and a half. We've mentioned Detroit. We mentioned Miami on multiple occasions. Let's hope that they are already rostered by you in your league. But if you missed out on them, if you did not have them available, I think that the best pickup at the moment is New England, which is sitting on a buy for week 11, down to 28% rostered in Yahoo and Sleeper Leagues. The Patriots visit the Giants in week 12. And really, Jared, Giants opponent is just going to be a starter-worthy defense the rest of the way. You can see all of the upside to it, but it starts with this. Daniel Jones still leads all qualifying quarterbacks in sack rate. Obviously, he's done for the season, but the only reason that he still leads is that Tommy DeVito, who is even worse in that category, hasn't qualified yet. As soon as he plays enough to qualify for that lead, he's probably going to take over the sack rate lead. It's just an awful, awful offense. Yeah, and you look at DeVito. I mean, he he took five sacks against Dallas last week, which like you get. That's one of the better pass rushers in the NFL. Um, DeVito took six sacks against the Raiders the previous week, who are, you know, fine. They have Max Crosby, but it's not not a top pass rush. So, yeah, I agree. I think New England is 
pretty easily the best week 12 streamer, you know, potentially a, a top five defense in our rankings for week 12. I think if you look at Minnesota too, who gets Chicago and we're going to get Justin Fields back for Chicago this, this week. And, you know, barring an injury, he'll play in that game next week. Um, you know, he remains a high sack rate guy. It was a defense. I think we were attacking um, in fantasy early on, but you, know, you look at DVOA um, they're up to uh, top 10 in DVOA. They've been pretty productive in fantasy. And again, just that, that home game against uh, fields, I think is going to make Minnesota a pretty nice streamer for week 12. Yeah. Solid option this week against Denver solid option next week against Chicago. And then you might even want to hold them through the bye if you have them, because they've got the Raiders on the other side of that. After that Raiders game, you can feel free to drop them. There's Cincinnati and Detroit, then a week 17 against green Bay, probably not worth holding, but it's also the time of year where if you want to hold them and grab another defense for week 15 and 16 to help you through the playoffs and get to that one, you can do that as well. You should check the strength of schedule pages for those matchups so that you can look ahead and stash defenses that you can play off each other in your upcoming matchups. You can also check the free agent finder to see the top options that are available to you. Maybe you just heard all the teams we mentioned. You're like, great, but none of those are available in my league. We got you check the free agent finder. It knows exactly who is available in your league because it's synced directly to your league. It knows your scoring. You can sort by this week's rankings. You can sort by next week's matchups to get ahead of the game. You can sort by rest of season upside. If you're not looking at defense and you want to check other positions for upside stashes, like some of the guys we named. And as we mentioned last week, use those strength of schedule pages to help reveal some trade targets to boost your playoff outlook. If your fantasy team is already in good shape, but could just use like that one more piece to push you over the top. Also use the updated and upgraded trade navigator to help you build those optimal trade packages and get you that championship. Join the draft sharks discord. You can access the whole DS community, ask us questions, get people's opinions. We're all working together to try to sharpen all of our rosters. But as always, we do all of this because we want to help you win your season. 